Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. Bibles to, to uh, Romans chapter 7. You can be a part of singing that song at the Thanksgiving service. We're going to have a hundred voice choir. Sanctuary is going to be full. We're going to have a hundred people across the platform up here on the Sunday night before Thanksgiving. And you, because you know that song, can be a part of the choir. How about that? That'd be pretty cool. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. So y'all, y'all be ready. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25 is where we are. Follow. <clears throat> Excuse me, Luke, if y'all could bring the house lights up just a little bit so everybody can see what's going on. And, and there you go. Thank you very much. Um, here's where we are. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law, it's a rule, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This Christian thing is kind of interesting, isn't it? Being a Christian is sort of an odd kind of of experience. Daniel did a pretty good job last week, did a real good job of taking us through the first part of Romans 7. Paul is, is building a case, so we're going to recap it just a little bit. Paul is constantly building his case here, making this argument through the whole book of Romans. Even Peter, one of Jesus' three main guys, you know, Peter, James, and John, even Peter said that Paul was a little bit difficult to understand. If you go to second, don't look it up. I'll read it to you. You can look it up later. Second Peter 3 Beginning with verse 15, Peter says, and, the, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to, wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks to them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. It's Peter saying that. Jesus' right-hand boy. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist 
to their own destruction. And that's what Paul, one of the things that Paul is dealing with here in the book of Romans is he's saying, okay, I said this, but now you're trying to take it someplace that I, that I didn't mean for us to go. Paul says that we're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the Ten Commandments. Some people took that to mean that, you know, I can do whatever I want to. If I'm not under the law, if I'm not ruled by the Ten Commandments, then I can do anything I want to do, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and there's no problem with that whatsoever. And then they even take Paul's words a little bit further and twist them a little bit and go to, uh, go to Romans 8, 1 that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Baby, I've got my get out of jail free card. I can do anything I want to. And that's where Paul leans back and he goes, have you lost your minds. Have you lost your mind? Now I heard this, I heard this a, a couple of weeks ago, and I really like the way this was put because it, it summarizes verses 1 through 14 pretty good. Imagine that you wake up every morning, like every one of us do, bleary-eyed, bedhead, you know, hair going every which way. Some of you have forgotten what that was like because there's no hair to go every which way. But the ones of you that have the hair that can go every which way, you wake up in the morning and you got the issue and you walk into the bathroom and you close the door and you don't look at the door, but there's a mirror hanging there, but you're not paying attention to no mirrors right this minute. You just want to get in the shower. You get in the shower, you got the warm water coming down on you. After a few minutes, you start to wake up. You come to life a little bit. You get out of the shower, you're drying off, and you look over at the door, and there's this mirror. But now this mirror is a special mirror. It's not just any mirror. It has the perfect you drawn on it. It's not one size fits all. It's you. Five foot nine me with my skeletal structure, with my mus muscle buildup and all that kind of stuff. You look on that mirror and there's the perfect me drawn on that mirror. And I'm standing there looking at it and I notice that in some places I don't fill up that mirror, that, that line exactly as much as I need to fill it up. And in other places, I amply fill up those lines and sort of expand into other areas. That, that mirror lets me know that if I was perfectly healthy, perfectly healthy, that this is what I would look like. Now, if I had that mirror in my house, I would take it in the backyard I would break it and I'd take the seven years of bad luck because I would not want to be reminded every morning that this is what you would look like if you were healthy and, and, and you don't. And you don't. But that's what the law is. The law gives us a very clear picture of what it looks like to live like God designed us to live. That's the purpose of the special mirror of the Ten Commandments. And that brings us up to where we are today. Because see, as much as that mirror points out our failings, it does nothing to help us do it right. It just shows you what you're doing wrong. Shows you how you what it would look like if you did do it right. But it also shows you what you're doing wrong. What it does for me is something worse. It lets me know that some of my desires are good. I have not committed adultery. Woo! I'm the man. But then I look at some of the other things that are in there and I'm going, good grief. Look at, look at, look at this. Some of the things that I want to do. 
Some of them are good and noble and honorable and holy, and some of them are evil, and it doesn't help me do them. It just points it out to you. I'm going to share a story that I've told you before. It fits really, really good here. And uh, I could pick another story out of my life because we all have plenty of them, but I don't want you to know all that. I've shared this story with you. That's enough. That's all you get to know. I was in my early 20s. I was very active in the uh, Davis Chapel Baptist Church. I had been... Uh, I had been a girls' Sunday school teacher at one time. Who thought that was a good idea? But I guess they couldn't get anybody else, and, you know, here I was. It was my niece's, uh, or, yeah, my niece's, uh, not niece, what was she, cousin. It was my cousin's Sunday school class, so I did that for a year. I, uh, of course, was on church softball team. I was on the uh, church bowling league. I, I was the best bowler on the bowling league. We were in last place. That just tells you something. <laughs> Uh, in fact, we really, this is way off topic, but one day we went from number 22 to number 21 and we were dis- just distraught that we were no longer last. We couldn't even be the worst, the best at being worst. But anyway, uh, I directed children's musicals. I, was, I directed youth musicals. I did all these kind of things. I preached on some Sundays. I taught a discipleship training class of old folks. I don't know why that worked. It was late on a weeknight, it was about 10.30, and uh, I was cl- closing in on closing time at the Pizza Hut, and uh, some of you remember the story, me and my best friend stopped by the Pizza Hut to get something to eat, we stopped in and got a pizza and a beer, got a pizza and a beer. There's nothing wrong with getting a pizza and a beer, nothing in the world wrong with it. If you go out and you get a pizza and a beer, you will not die and you will not go to hell. I realized we had a visitor in our first service. Uh, we may have visitors in here, but she talked to me after the service was over. She said, I've never been in a Baptist church before. And I almost fell over when you said that it was okay to have a beer. <laughs> she said, I've been told that Baptists believe that you will die and go to hell. And I said, nah, that's not the way the scripture actually works. But So I stopped in, got a pizza and a, pizza and a beer, and we sat down and we were eating it. Everything's good. Figured if everything's going to go like we expected, you know, we'll, we'll eat, we'll drive home, get up tomorrow. And as Scarlett O'Hara said, tomorrow will be another day, and off we'll go. Little did I understand that there are some people in this world that are crazy. And there was this daddy, and I don't know why. I have no clue. It makes no sense to me at all. This daddy decided to take his daughter to Pizza Hut at 1030 on a school night. Daddy's, no. Just know, you don't take your little girl to Pizza Hut at 10.30 on a school night, get her home, and get her in bed so she can get some rest and go to school the next day. But here he comes marching in, and don't you know that she's a girl that's been in the groups that I've dealt with? She knows me. It's like radar. She comes walking over to me. They talk to me for a few minutes. They notice that I am not drinking Sprite. And then they go about their way and they order their supper and they eat and we eat and we leave. Just another day, right? I thought it was awkward, but it'll be okay. A few weeks later, the youth minister called me into his office and he and the pastor had visited this family. The dad was lost. And when they witnessed to the daddy, the daddy said this to them. I don't know why 
what I do with such a problem. When one of your fine young men who has preached in your pulpit is out doing the same things that I do. Fine young man was me. Now, let me tell you, having a pizza and a beer will not send you to hell. However, having a pizza and a beer when you are the leader of impressionable children is a problem. James 3 says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I knew, I knew better. I knew better. And you know my response was, first I was angry because I got called out, and then I was angry at me. And you know what I said to myself over and over and over again? I bet you could tell me because you've done it yourself. What a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. Here you are standing up saying all these wonderful things about what God will do and then you go out and you act just like everybody else. What a stinking hypocrite you are. But you know what I've come to understand because I understand what Paul is saying right here? I was not a hypocrite. I was not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a person who pretends to be something that he's not. There was no pretending. There was no pretending. I wanted to be a godly man who led people to know Jesus just as sincerely as I could possibly do that. It wasn't pretense. I was saved. I knew it. I wanted other people to have what I enjoyed. I wanted other people to have the experience that I had with Jesus and having him in my heart and learning things and getting excited about all the things that, that, that God does in our lives and how he helps other people. I wanted that, but I also had friends at work and friends that I had made in school and I wanted to do what they did too just as sincerely as I wanted to be a Christian just as sincerely I wanted to get a pizza and a beer if I wanted a pizza and a beer I wanted to go to the disco and drink and dance because it was fun I wanted to raft down the Chattahoochee River with all of my friends in one raft and our cooler in the other raft because it was a good time I was as sincere about that as I was sincere about my Christian walk. It's not that I was a hypocrite. It's there was a war going on inside of me, and you've got the same war in you. Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Isn't that us? I got something else that I struggle with, and this will probably cause, Chris Towers was in the first service, so I might be safe because he's chairman of the deacons. This might call, cause a called deacons meeting and a called church conference to get yourself a new pastor, but there's something that I struggle with that you would think a preacher shouldn't struggle with, but I'm saying that I struggle with it because I want you to know you're struggling with the same thing. Having a quiet time every day. Man, I'm telling you, I know that I know that I know that when I get up an hour early and sit down with my Bible and read scripture and I've got, I'll read a different devotion book over time and I sit and I pray, I know, I know that I know that I know that I know that 
God speaks to me at that time. And I'm a better person. I'm a better pastor. My life goes better. I'm more ready for the day when I do that. I seem to be a little smarter as I go through the day. I understand that. Last week, I was read, I'm reading through Jeremiah right now of all the crazy places. And I've had something on my mind. And it's like it was highlighted. There was this little verse that was highlighted in there that was an answer to something that I've been dealing with for several weeks. This is great. Why would you not want to do that every day? And yet there's mornings that I wake up that I think, you know what? He won't miss me. I need another hour of sleep. There are days that I wake up that I wake up and you do the same thing. You wake up and your mind is already going... I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. I got to get here, I got to go there, I got to go there, I got to go there. Instead of sitting down for an hour, if I'd go ahead and get started on this stuff, I could probably get through a little bit quicker tonight, and I could go, and I could do, and I could do, and I could go. I fight that battle all the time. I know you fight it too. I know what is right. But I got this thing that fights against me doing what is right. I'm not pretending to be something I'm not. I want to do both. There's a war going on inside of me. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Paul, in verse 16, Paul agrees with the mirror. He says, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that the law is good. If I look in the mirror, that mirror that I was talking about that I've taken out and broken now, that mirror that's hanging on the back of my, back of my uh, bathroom door that's got the perfect me in it, if I look at that, I realize that, you know what, you probably ought to be eating a kale salad. That really would be good for you. Maybe kale salads for the next, I don't know, 10 months. Nothing but kale. Next 10, that's what you ought to eat. But I look at it and I go, you know what? If I had a bear claw and some hot coffee, I'd be a happy boy. Because that's the war that's going on inside of us. It is not hypocrisy. It is wanting to do them both. Paul says, it's not I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Now, here's the hard part to understand. See, we know that when we're saved, we're crucified in Christ. Our old nature is crucified with him. Our sins are buried. We're raised to new life. Romans 6, we studied this, says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Paul's not making excuses. He's not saying the devil made him do it. What he's saying is that, is what we know, that when we trust Jesus to be our Savior, when they, we stake our lives on him, we become new creatures. The old passes away, news come, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We know that, it's, that as good as we're standing here, that in chapter 8 we're going to hear about how the Holy Spirit empowers us and works in us and God's doing all this good stuff. But at the same time, we live in fallen bodies in a fallen world our bodies remember, our mind remembers the way that we've learned to live. We've experienced pleasures both permissible and forbidden. And that doesn't just go away. It doesn't just, there's not a magic button when you're saved that all of this disappears. Paul says, now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
It's the rebellion that still resides in my mind that wants to sleep the extra hour, that wants the pizza and the beer regardless. If I want a pizza and a beer, what business is it of yours? Keep your stinking nose out my business. What I eat is none of your business. That lives in me. Verse 21 has got to be one of the most accurate verses in the Bible. So I find it hard, no, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. Looney Tunes. Y'all watch Looney Tunes? Y'all know Bugs Bunny, Sylvester and Tweety? Y'all remember Looney Tunes cartoons? Every now and then, angel pops up on one shoulder. Y'all remember that? Devil pops up on the other shoulder. Where do you think that idea came from? It's right here. That's what happens to us. And you know what? You know when it's the best time to fail, the best time to do something wrong is the day after you've done something right. It's the craziest thing in the whole wide world. I know it's not just me that it's happened to. It's happened to probably every one of us out there. We have done something good. We've done something right. We were proud of ourselves. We got home. We laid down in bed and went, hallelujah, Jesus. Did you see what I did today? This was wonderful. And the very next day, bam. Why? Because, because it's sitting there. It's waiting on me. It's looking for me. Two things we can take away from the scripture. Two things. First, we all have this battle. We all have this battle. Now, one of Satan's greatest tools in the whole wide world is he will whisper in your ear, it's just you. Nobody else does this. It's just you. It's your problem. It's your fault. You're the only one that's ever felt this way. You're the only one this has ever happened to. And then, <clears throat> in the back of your mind, he's whispering to you, you're such a hypocrite. You're such a hypocrite. Good Lord, have mercy. What makes you think that you're a Christian? Would a Christian act like you do? You're the worst hypocrite on the face of this planet. If you were really a good Christian, if you were like him, if you were like her, one of the things that drives me crazy, I love listening to, to the, the older pastors, the smarter pastors, the popular pastors, the ones that you know have the followings and all that, and listen to their teaching and all that, and yet at the same time, I hate listening to that stuff too because there's always something in there. I was listening, this is a long time ago, this is, uh, Asian churches, uh, Asian churches are they have some lots of members in some of these Asian churches. And there was a young pastor that had 30,000 people roughly in his church and an older pastor that had 300,000 people in his church. Yeah, that's a lot of folks. You don't know everybody that goes to church there when you have that many people. 30,000, 300,000. The younger pastor goes to the older pastor and he says, I do not understand this. How come, how come is it I've got better education than you, my church has more money than your church does, we've got more resources than your church does, how come my church only has 30,000 members and yours has 300,000 members? And the older pastor asked him, said, how long do you pray every day? And the pastor says, well, I pray an hour every day. And the older pastor says, I pray three hours every day. That's the difference between 300,000 and 30,000. And I'm sitting here going, oh, <laughs> 
I fight to pray an hour a day. First Baptist is doomed. And there's Satan whispering in my ear saying, you know, if you were a better pastor. And then I read what Paul says. He never says in here, are you ashamed of yourself? He doesn't say that. He says, I fight the same battle that you fight. I have the same problem that you do. I see a frank admission by one of the greatest men to ever live that he, that he struggles. That he couldn't keep the Ten Commandments either. He says, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. You know, I used to tell y'all that I wanted, I wanted a Jaguar, right? Because, you know, the Jaguar commercials, I've changed now. I want a Land Rover. Those Land Rover commercials, I'm telling you right now, if I could convince Renee it's only $789 a month to lease it with like $2 billion down, we could have it tomorrow. Those commercials look so great, and I have a feeling, I have a suspicion that if Paul lived here right now, he would stand here right beside me and go, amen to that, brother. Yeah, I want one of those things too. Our whole society is sitting out there teaching us how to covet, how to want. It's there. Take a deep breath, people. Take a deep breath. Paul says, I see in my members another law that's waging war against the law of my mind. If Paul says it's normal for him, it's normal for us. It's happening to all of us. Don't sit there and say to yourself that it's only me and I'm such a hypocrite. No, you're not. No, you're not. And you let the people outside the church say that people inside the church are a bunch of hypocrites. They can say it all they want to. They don't understand that there is a war going on inside of us and we want to be godly people, but we sure would like to have a pizza and a beer every now and then, even if we're a Sunday school teacher. That's point number one. Point number two is this. This is not a battle that we're going to lose. This is not a battle that we're going to lose. This is not a battle that we are going to lose. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who can stop me from doing this nonsense? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I want to ask you some things. If you believe these things, you can say amen, you can raise your hand, you can nod, or you can say nothing and just say, yes, I believe them in your heart. But do you believe these things? I believe that Jesus was crucified on a cross, that he took my sins as his own, that he died, he was buried, that he was resurrected on the third day by the power of God to new life. And because he did that, I can believe him for that, and he has given me new life. I believe that. I believe that's absolutely true. I believe in what Romans 8, 29 says. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That what he says is that, that, he to, uh, that we are to be conformed. It's a process. 
that he's working on me. And here's something I want you to understand. And here's something I want you to understand, okay? Understand this. When you want to be a better Christian, he's working in your heart to make you a better Christian. When you are not wanting to be a better Christian, when you got your mind somewhere else and you're fighting against him, guess what? He's still working in your heart to make you a better Christian. You can't stop him. You can't get in his way. You can't say, well, I'm just not going to. You can't do it because once you are his child, nothing can separate you from him. He is your father, and every good father that I know walks with their child all the way to the end. Every, t- every now and then has to pop them on the hiney. Every now and then has to pull them up close. That's what our father does all the time. You can't stop him. You can't stop him. So when you get there thinking that I have done the most horrible thing in the world and God's going to forsake me, let me help you understand. That is when the Holy Spirit is working in you right then saying, listen, we're going to take another step. We're going to take another step. I believe what Philippians 1.6 says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What that means is, is I'm going to have this struggle until I either die when he calls me home or when he comes back. But when he calls me home or he comes back, I'm going to be changed. I'm going to be a new creation. And all of this nonsense and all of this war that occurs inside of me is going to be gone. And you know what I've started to understand and realize? And I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or it's because the Lord is starting to show me this more and more. But I'm starting to look forward to it. I'm starting to look forward to the day that I don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing. I don't have to worry about being in the wrong place. I don't have to worry about really wanting to do this, but I'd really want to do that too. I'm looking forward to the day where he comes up and he says, hey, let's go on. I got some things to show you, brother. You got some things to see. I'm looking forward to that day. We are not helpless. We are not lost. We are not alone. We are not hypocrites. We are people who have trusted Jesus as our Savior. We are works in progress. We are being made more and more like Jesus every day. He promised us that this is how life is going to be. Get over it. Pull yourself up and let's move on. I'm holding you. I'm taking you. You are mine. And if you will pay attention, if you will pay attention, As we spend time with Jesus, as we come to church, as we go to groups, when we have our quiet times, we read scripture, we pray, we read devotions, you're going to start noticing that changes do happen in you. Because you know what? I have not had a pizza and a beer in, oh, I don't know, around 40 years. And you might say, if you're that kind of person, well, the reason you ain't is because you married Renee. (laughs) And she'd kill you if you went out and had a pizza and a beer. And you know what I would say to you? Jesus Christ gave me that woman to help me be what he wants me to be. No, you can't take anything out of this equation. It's him and it's him doing it all the time. He works in us. Oh, and I just wanted to say this too, for those of you especially that, not a whole lot of younger ones in here right now, but a few younger ones. Once you start doing something, I have not had a Heineken in probably 40 years. But on a hot day when I've cut grass, 
I can taste that sucker. I can taste it. It didn't go away. It's been 40 years. Once you start, it's there. Now, if I had one, when I cut grass, I would not die and go to hell. But if I had a Heineken after I cut grass, I promise you one of y'all would show up at my house. (laughs) So that ain't going to happen. J.D. Greer said, the irony of the Christian life is that the only ones, y'all listen now, y'all listen. If you didn't listen to anything else, we're almost done. It's, It's time. Listen. The irony of the Christian life is that the only ones who get better are those who understand that their acceptance by God is not conditioned on their getting better. Hear that? Maybe you need to write it down. I want you to hear it one more time. The irony of the Christian life is that the only ones who get better are those who understand that their acceptance by God is not conditioned on their getting better. Jesus accepts you just like you are. Billy Graham saying is his invitation for a billion years, just as I am, without one plea, just as I am. That's how he accepts us. He knows who we are. You can't hide anything from him. He's God for heaven's sakes but he will accept you. And if you are his, you are accepted. And he's working on you even when you don't think he's working on you. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, he will accept you. He will take your sins away just like he took mine away. He will forgive you of your sins. He'll make you brand new. I hurt for you because I want you to know what I know I want you to be free I want you to know that you can be a complete total nincompoop I got other words but it's the best I can use the pulpit and he loves you and he'll hold on to you and he'll never forsake you and he'll never let you go all it takes is everything you have. Turn to him and tell him, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, faith is believing that Christ is what he is said to be, that he will do what he has promised to do, and then we expect it of him. Jesus said he will save you. Trust him to do it. Y'all pray with me. Father, we thank you. Boy, we thank you for something like this. Lord, I thank you so much that you don't beat us up telling us if, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't. Lord, we read through the Old Testament, image after image after image after image of people that You said, if you will follow me, and and they invariably didn't. In Jeremiah, Lord, and what I was reading the other day, people prayed, where do we go? What do we do? You told them where to go and what to do, and they immediately turned around and listened to somebody else and said, no, we're not going to do it, because that's who we are. You know how difficult it is for us. We are but dust. 
And then, Father, you sent Jesus. And, Lord, we've, we've talked about Jesus so much, and, and Jesus has been portrayed in our society in such a way for so long that we've forgotten the power. We've forgotten that because he died on the cross, Lord, that, that, that we're released, that there's nothing to hold us back, that there is no condemnation that you will not leave us alone if everybody on the face of the planet does, you won't. Father, I pray. I pray that everybody would know that message. That the six in 10 people in Jones County that don't, that don't go to church, that don't believe in God at all, that those 60%, 61% of people would come to know that they're forgiven that there is a path for them to glory. Oh, please, Father, in this house today, I pray that someone would hear that message and would be set free and that your people would breathe a deep sigh of relief. It's okay. Jesus has me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away.